I so appreciate Fred's testimony. On one hand, it's just such a reminder of God's grace to us. We are promised in His Word that He will not let us stumble. Doesn't mean we won't fall on our face occasionally. (laughs) But as it relates to our security in Christ, we are secure. Amen? It also reminds me that gatherings just like this is the means that God uses to keep us focused. It's the regular means of grace. Being in His Word. Reading the Word even when we don't feel like it. Praying when we don't feel like it. Reading a good book. Listening to John Piper. When you don't feel like it. Coming to church when you don't feel like it. Listen, God has given us means of grace. Meaning, these are things, these are, these are showers that we can put ourselves under. And through these things, we get wet. God renews us. He rejuvenates us. And I pray that that happens this morning for all of us here today. Amen? Amen. Anybody here need to be rejuvenated this morning? Well, let's get to His Word. Let's let Him speak to us. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Continuing in this chapter from where we left off last week, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 26. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on all his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I want to speak to you this morning, and I've entitled my sermon, Hashtag blessed. First time I've ever put hashtag in a sermon title. Hashtag blessed. Check in on Facebook right now. See you're at the Garden Church. Hashtag blessed. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come into your word that you would help us speak to us right now. Bring us to our knees before Christ 
And may we find in him what we could not find in the world, and that is everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hashtag blessed. Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. That's a hashtag. You don't even know what a hashtag is? Well, don't worry about it. If you were to search hashtag blessed on any social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, you're going to find that hashtag blessed means, as one article said, hashtag bragging. If you search hashtag blessed, what you find are pictures of expensive clothing that you can never afford, nice shoes, exotic vacation destinations, accomplishments, achievements, popularity, hashtag blessed. One person said hashtag blessed is basically a way to brag and act like you're looking humble. You're not really humble. You're just hashtag bragging. Blessed. According to social media, blessed means worldly popularity and worldly attainment. Well, how do we use the word blessed in regular speech? If I were to say, hey, good morning, how are you? Blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed. Okay, good. What do you mean by that? Well, I woke up this morning. I heard somebody say it. (laughs) You guys know it. I woke up this morning. I've got a job. I've got a family that loves me. And that's wonderful. Common grace. I mean, these are indeed blessings from God. Don't get me wrong. But what if you did not wake up this morning? Are you still blessed? What if you find out when you get to work at 9 o'clock that you actually lost your job? Are you still blessed? What if your spouse divorced you and took your kids? Are you still blessed? Nobody. Nobody on Instagram post a picture of their overdrafted bank account, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Nobody says, hey, all my friends went out and they excluded me this evening. I'm home alone, hashtag blessed. Nobody's ever posted a picture of their empty refrigerator with the caption, No food, no money, hungry. Hashtag blessed. There are 112 references to the word blessed in the Bible. And none of them are connected with the concept of material prosperity. I think we need to redefine 
what it means to be blessed. In our text this morning, in verse 17 through 19, the stage is set. Jesus has called his 12 disciples. He brings them down now to a level plain, and he's about to deliver a sermon. It's the first sermon of Jesus that Luke records. It's as if Jesus has just now called his disciples, and he's about to give them a discipleship manifesto. This is what it looks like to be my disciple. This is what it looks like to live a life in the kingdom of God. He speaks this sermon specifically to the twelve, but we see that there are great crowds who have gathered all around him. The sermon is not just for the twelve, but it's for everybody that's within earshot. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're going to divide his sermon into three parts. Part one this Sunday, then the next two Sundays we'll cover the rest of his sermon. This morning we're looking at just his introduction. And what we see in his introduction is that he takes all of the values of the world and he turns them upside down. He essentially says, you thought this was important. Let me flip that whole paradigm and show you that this is important. Well, what am I talking about? It's this set of blessings and woes that he begins his sermon with. He contrasts his disciples with the people of the world. These are the world's values. These are the world's standards. This is what my disciples value. I want to first begin by defining this word blessed. Blessed literally just means happy or true happiness. And if you remember our sermon last week, what you know is that true happiness is not found in our circumstances right around us, but true happiness is what we would often call joy, which is rooted deep down in our heart, beyond our present circumstances. The blessed individual, then, is someone who is truly happy beyond their circumstances. So when we see this title, the blessed person, the blessed man, the blessed woman, what we could uh, 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 infer is that he is saying this person is truly happy. Oh, how happy are these people. I want to divide my own sermon up into four quotes that you never see with the hashtag blessed. All right, I'm poor, hashtag blessed. I'm hungry, I'm weeping, I'm rejected. I want you to see how Jesus says this is what it means to be blessed. Let's begin first, I'm poor, everybody say it with me, hashtag blessed. Look at verse 20 in chapter 6, he lifts up his eyes He begins his sermon saying to his disciples, Blessed are you who are, what's that word? Blessed are you who are poor. Now in this ancient context uh, in Israel, it would have been seen as morally suspicious to be poor. If you were poor, that means God must not be happy with you. 
You must have some sin in your life. This is why the poor were the outcasts. Yet the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He says, blessed are you who are poor. What we can learn thus far is that poverty is not a sin. Just because someone is poor doesn't mean that they are wicked. Just because you might have a poor church or a poor neighborhood doesn't mean just simply because there's poverty there that there is spiritual darkness. You listen, he's flipping the whole paradigm. It isn't sinful to be poor. As a matter of fact, let's just deal with it as is. He says it is a blessing to be poor. Blessed, he says, are the poor. Why? Well, not because it's cool to be poor. Not because there is any blessing in and of poverty itself. He has a four here, which tells us why. For yours is the kingdom of God. It, it's, being poor is neither a sin nor is it a virtue. Being poor is a state of lack. Lacking something in this world. And what he's saying is, is how blessed it is for you who are poor because you cling to something more than this world has to offer. You put your hope not in this world, but in what is to come. He goes on in verse 24, skip down a couple of verses. But woe, he says, to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Listen, it is dangerous to be rich. Let me say that again. It is dangerous to be rich. If you are poor, don't seek to be rich. In riches there comes great danger. How hard is it for a rich man to enter into heaven? Well, it's impossible. But then Jesus goes on to say, with God all things are possible. And for you who have a little couple dollars in this church, praise God for that. <laughs> but it is dangerous to be rich. Why? Because we might get comfortable in this world. We might be satisfied with what this world has. Some of y'all are way too comfortable in this world. You, you don't long for the next because frankly, you're happy with what you have in this world. If you are physically rich, what do we do? Give it all to the poor? Listen, this word poor throughout the New Testament is typically understood in spiritual terms as a reference to spiritual poverty, meaning the disciples are referred to as the poor ones. In Matthew's account of this sermon, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's saying is, is this, we shouldn't just simply apply this physically, but we need to apply this spiritually. Meaning, the blessed individual is one who says, I am spiritually poor. Uh, I, I have nothing in this world. All in this world is fading. I've attained nothing that I can take with me into the next. And I, before God, am broken. I'm, I'm bankrupt before God. 
The call to the physically rich is to become spiritually poor. Is to recognize that you have nothing in this world that buys you anything before God. And we crawl to God on our knees, clinging to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you are physically poor, your call is the same as the rich. To come humbly with nothing before God. Listen, just because you're poor doesn't mean you're saved. Uh, It's possible that you might have a poor man who is one of the most self-righteous beings on the planet. Who thinks that he's got something before God. Listen, family, if you are poor in this earth, don't think that God owes you something. Your poverty here in this earth and the pain of that poverty will pale in comparison to the poverty that you experience in the next life. Oh, your call is the same as the rich that is, could become spiritually poor before God. Oh, nothing in my hands. I bring only to the cross. I cling. Secondly, I'm hungry. Hashtag blessed. I'm hungry. I want to retell a sermon illustration, which I do occasionally. I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but I, I recycle them. <laughs> you can only come up with so many. I've got to preach every Sunday. I want to retell, tell you one, though, I just used at the church retreat, but it was so good. <laughs> I actually got this sermon illustration from the late D.J. Ward uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. But I kind of make it my own. Here's how I make it my own. My favorite food is meatloaf. Well, one of my favorite foods. Meatloaf, some mashed potatoes, some corn, maybe some green beans. Sound good? I love it. Classic. My wife makes this killer meatloaf. They're these little balls. They're like large meatballs. And they're spicy. She uses barbecue sauce in them. It's amazing. I love eating at home. I love it when my wife makes these spicy little meatballs. Assume, though, one day I'm out Meeting up with Eddie. Eddie and I, we're, we're out on a uh, uh, meeting at the McDonald's on North Avenue. You know, a classy joint. <laughs> so we're sitting there talking, reading the Bible together. And I say, Eddie, I'm a little hungry. It's 6, six o'clock. And uh, I'm thinking about getting a Big Mac. Would you want one? And Eddie says, yeah, Absolutely. So I buy the first round of Big Macs. He buys the second, of course. We enjoy our Big Macs. About 6.45 or so, I get home. And as soon as I walk through the door, I smell something. My wife has been cooking. She comes excited. Hey, I got the table set. 
I've made your meatloaf that you like, mashed potatoes, green beans and corn, it's all there. And I say, oh, I just ate. Why'd you do that? Well, you know, Eddie, Eddie and I, we were at McDonald's and, you know, Big Macs. It's hard to you know how it is. I had two Big Macs. I'm stuffed. As a matter of fact, matter of fact I feel miserable. And her face just drops. Well, what, am, what am I supposed to do with all of this food? I went out and I got this, these ingredients. I put this together for you because I love you. You could have at least told me. Listen, family. Some of us are so filled with what the world has to offer. We're so filled up on the junk of the world that we have no hunger for God. How is this evidenced? It's evidenced in the fact that you can't read through the Bible without getting distracted, read a line, back to your phone, back to your computer, whatever it is, conversations. We can't even get into God's Word. Much less pray because we have no hunger for Him. Why do we have no hunger for Him? Because there are so many things in this world that we are feeding off of, and it's junk food. And if we're going to be honest with each other, we feel miserable. It doesn't make us feel good. We don't feel strong. We feel miserable. And we come to church and we just wish the service would get through. I just wish you'd preach a little bit quicker, Joel. Watch the clock. you got a clock right there. We don't need to spend so much time in these sermons. Oh, we have no hunger for God's Word. What does Jesus say here? He says... In verse 25, woe. Now that word woe, by the way, means sad. Or, oh, how sad is the person who is filled now. For you shall be hungry. Skipping back a couple verses to verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Listen, if you are satisfied with the world, you have no taste for the things of God. If you are satisfied with the world, you don't want the things of God. Woe to the person who is filled with the things of this world, one day you will be starving, he says. Listen, eternity is at stake here. I'm kind of jumping forward in my sermon. But if you look in verse 21, he says your reward is great in heaven. Listen, I know that there are people who say don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't think that's typically our problem. 
I think typically we are so earthly minded, we are not prepared for heaven. There are some who are so satisfied with the things of this earth. There are some who are so filled with what this earth, what this world has to offer you. What Jesus is saying is simple. There is nothing in this world that will truly satisfy you. There is no food, no drink, no sex, no people, no clothing, no vacation that will truly satisfy you. I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you know what it's like to try to find satisfaction through consuming the things of this world. I wonder if you know what it's like to fall on your knees and say, God, is there any satisfaction in life? Oh, Jesus says there is. Is there a meal that satisfies? Jesus says, take and eat. Oh, there is a meal that satisfies. That is the meal that Christ offers. We are given a meal to consume. And this meal represents His body which is broken for us. His blood which is poured out for us. Satisfaction for the human being does not come through worldly attainment. Through feasting off of what the world offers you. Satisfaction for the human being comes through God's Word through the life of Christ, through the promise of Christ, and through His kingdom. I've told this illustration before as well. A young girl was starving to death, and she asks her mother, Mommy, will God let us die? The mother says, Oh, honey, of course God would not let us die. And the young girl replies, But even if He does, we should still love Him. Oh, blessed is this little girl who is hungry who knows that there is satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Number three, I'm weeping. I'm weeping. Hashtag. I almost forgot it. Hashtag. I'm weeping. I'm blessed. About a year ago in our, in our house, uh, we were having family worship, which is a little time which we try to do every day where we get together and, and just worship for a few minutes with the kids, my wife and I. We were having family worship um, a year ago, April, and um, we were talking about heaven. And Haddon, uh, who was six at the time, says, I'm not trying to be mean. But I don't think I want to go to heaven. I think I just want to stay home. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay, why don't you want to go to heaven? And then you can tell he starts fighting back tears. And as he speaks, the tears begin to flow. And he looks at his mother and he says, because I don't know if I will be able to find you there. Oh, Haddon, we have to explain to him, you're misunderstanding heaven. In heaven, there is no loneliness. We have God. And all who are in God are one. In heaven, there are no tears. All tears are wiped away. There is no sadness, no fear. 
in heaven. He started to perk up a little bit, got happy with this idea of heaven. Then he asks, can I be black in heaven? (laughs) Ask Montrell. Listen, the tears, the tears we shed, the tears we shed on this earth for his disciples are only shed on this earth. For those who weep here, there is for his disciples no weeping there. There is no loneliness there. There is no loss there. There is no pain there. There are no tears in the presence of God in His kingdom that is forever. Look at verse 21. He continues, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Verse 25. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Listen, Jesus is not anti-laughter any more than he is pro-poverty. Don't walk around this planet and say, oh, we should not laugh. Just laughed a second ago. That was wrong. Sinful. Apologize. Sorry. Forgive me, Jesus. Don't want to miss heaven over that. Listen, if we only apply these terms in a concrete sense, we will miss the spiritual meaning that is intended. I think John Piper gets it right. On modern day preaching, Piper says, laughter seems to have replaced repentance as the goal for many preachers. Laughter seems to have replaced repentance as the goal for many preachers. Meaning there are too many who stand up and want to make people feel good. And the reality is the people of this world believe in that. They believe that what it means to be blessed is to just feel good and to laugh. They do not understand the concept of conviction. They do not understand the concept of repentance. Jesus here, I believe he's referring to those who weep over the brokenness of this world. Those who weep over the realities of sin in this world. When we see the rising death toll, When we hear of poverty, extreme poverty in this city and in other parts of the world, even more so. When we see people cheat and rob and lie. Oh, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who realize that this world is a broken, broken place. 
And not just simply the social brokenness around us, but the brokenness inside of us. Blessed are those who cry over their sin. Blessed are those who weep over the ways in which they have forgotten and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in their daily life. It is more common today to compliment a sermon as being funny and keeping the attention of the crowd as opposed to the way that they used to compliment sermons, which was this, and I quote, that of convicting sinners of their guilt and renewing them to repentance. Oh, how happy are those who weep over the brokenness of this world, over the brokenness in their, in their own life. They will find true laughter. Oh, there is joy in Jesus. And it is running to Jesus in our weeping that we find that joy. Lastly, number four, I am rejected. Blessed. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. By the way, nobody's ever put that on Facebook either. Everybody hates me, hashtag blessed. Blessed are you, he says, when people hate you. I'm currently reading the biography of Adoniram Judson. He's a missionary years ago to uh, 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 Burma. And in Burma, uh, it was a very difficult place. They were very hostile toward Christianity. After 16 years, Adoniram had 12 converts. He had lost two children, a couple missionary friends that went with him. And now these Burman converts were subjected to the most unusual form of torture. As the king rejects Christianity, it is possible that they might find themselves disemboweled, beheaded, speared. Adoniram wonders if the Burmans that have been converted to Christianity will now go back to their former Buddhism. He wonders if they will stop coming together for worship. He wonders if they're going to lose the progress they've been making in their spiritual faith, and he asks one of them if they will continue with Christ. And Mong Tala replies, yes. Christ has taught us not to fear those who can kill the body only, but to fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh, blessed are you when people hate you How do people hate you? He goes on in the text and shows us a couple ways. When they exclude you, he says. The word exclude here means to separate by borders. To say, we're different. We're not hanging out anymore. You know, the early Christians, they were accused of being haters of humanity because they fought for the life of the children that were being destroyed. How ironic. When the world separates you off and says, you are no longer part of our group. You're no longer hanging out with us. We're doing things without you. You're not getting the invite anymore. You're excluded. 
because of the name of Christ. Secondly, he says, when they revile you. This word means to defame you. How do they revile you? Through spurring your name. Defaming your name. Through spreading rumors about you that are not true. Through saying things about you that don't characterize what you actually believe. Through placing titles and labels on you. Oh, this does not sound like blessed, does it? I thought blessed means to be popular. Oh, those of you who want to be popular, let's read on. Verse 26. Woe to you when people speak well of you. What? When people speak well of you. Oh, how sad that is. Why? Well, for those who are made unpopular, he says this is how the prophets of old were treated. And for those who the world speaks well of, he says this is how the false prophets were treated. Well, I think of a sermon series we did last year in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, what an example of a true prophet of God who was reviled, who was gossiped about, who was lied about, who was hated by all. They drew circles around him and they said, oh, don't touch him, don't get near him. In his day, who were the popular ones? The popular ones were the false teachers. Those who tickled the ears. Those who twisted scriptures to make scriptures more palatable for mankind. What does Jeremiah say? In verse 7 of chapter 17, Jeremiah says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Oh, listen, I think there's even a greater prophet than Jeremiah who was rejected by man. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, speaking of Jesus Christ Himself, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ became poor. Through His poverty, we might become what? Rich. Oh, how blessed is the man who is poor in this world, primarily, I believe, speaking of himself. The happiest man on the planet, Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows. Oh, it was through his sorrow. It was through his pain. It was through his poverty that we might have riches, not riches in this world, but riches in the next John 19, verse 28, of this prophet, Jesus says, I thirst. He was hungry. He lacked. John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. Isaiah 53, verse 3, says, Jesus, or He, speaking of the Christ that is to come, was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Listen, Jesus' sermon, introduction, is applied in two ways. Number one, it is applied through the pain and loss that it took for Jesus to bless us. And secondly, it is applied in our own life as we experience pain 
and loss and are driven to Him. Do you guys understand what this looks like? To have pain and loss and be driven to Him. Most people in this world believe that pain and loss would turn you away from Jesus. But listen, as a pastor, I've heard a whole lot of testimonies. And I can't remember one testimony in which someone says, oh, everything went well for me in life, and that's when I really grew spiritually. Whenever I hear a testimony, it's the opposite of that. Whenever I hear a testimony, it sounds a lot more like I was broke. I was hungry. I had nothing. I was abandoned. I was lonely in this world. And that is when God drew me to Himself. Oh, how blessed you are. Oh, how blessed it is to have pain and loss in this world. In 2006, a woman named Laura Story had a husband who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. They began to pray. And for a couple years... He continued to struggle with this, and God did not answer their prayer request in the way that they had prayed. He did survive the brain tumor, but not without severe memory loss and a number of other health issues. However, it was through this time that she experienced and grew in the grace of God. Laura penned these words. She said, What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, what if these are your mercies in disguise? Listen, does anybody know that true joy does not come from this world? This world is quickly fading. This world is passing by. Does anybody know that true joy comes through God alone? Now, if that is true, follow with me now, if that is true, then that means that we have to agree that pain and loss in this world and of this world leads us to true happiness in God. Look at the text. I don't want to finish my sermon without finishing this text. Look at verse 23. In this day when people reject you, when you are reviled, when your name is hated among them, what does he say? He says in verse 23, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Listen, that word leap could be translated skip. Skip for joy. This isn't just a a kind of joy that we experience on the inside, but it's a rejoicing that evidences itself in skipping. I ain't going to skip across the stage, but if I had a better platform, I might skip. (laughs) Because we are called in that day to skip for joy. Can anybody say with me, That God is my happiness. I don't have expensive clothing, but I am blessed. I don't have those exotic vacations, 
and I don't even know where people are going. I can't even tell you the names of those countries. But I'm blessed. I don't have accomplishments. There's nothing in my life that I have done that I could take before God and say, oh, you should accept me based on my merit. No, but I am blessed. I don't have achievements in this world to show, but I am blessed. I don't have the popularity that they have in Hollywood or even across the street. I don't have the popularity that some other kids in school have, but I know that I am blessed because I have Christ. Oh, but they revile you. They revile you. They revile me. They revile me because they don't know me. They don't know me because they don't know my Savior. But family, I can tell you about my Savior. When I lose, I find Him. When I am weak, He is strong. When I sin, He is my forgiveness. Oh, when I stand in rags before Him, He is my righteousness. When I'm poor, He is rich. When I'm lonely, He is sufficient. And when I'm hungry, He fills me with all that I need. In Him, I'm dressed. In Him, I'm fed. In Him, I laugh. In Him, I'm loved. Oh, can anybody skip for joy this morning? Can anybody say, I'm blessed? I'm blessed. I'm blessed not because of worldly attainment or popularity, but I'm blessed because I have Him. Father, we thank You for being the God who has come to us in our poverty, in our brokenness, in our sin, in our rags. God, we thank You for giving us all that we need in Jesus Christ. Lord, this world is fading away. And while in one sense we, we, we mourn that, we weep that, we lament that, God, we thank You for letting us know so that we might not put our treasures in this world, so that we might not find our blessings from worldly attainment, so that we might run to You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.